welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey, we're going to venture on over to Potterville in Eaton County. And we're going to explore some of the history of the old train depot and some stories of the Grand Trunk Railroad near Potterville, as well as a few train derailments. So come along and join me. So the material for today's episode is coming from a book entitled Right on Track, and it is a history of the railroads of Eaton County, Michigan. And this is a book that was put together by the Eaton County Historical Commission. And before I go much further, I want to let you know that I'm going to put the link in the episode description for the Eaton County Historical Commission. That way, if you would like to purchase one of their books on history, they put these books Together, about once a year, they come out with a new book on Eaton County history, and they have quite a collection available. And all the money goes to support the Historical Commission and preserving history in Eaton County. And they are a great organization. I've had a few of their members as guests on my show before. And it's always worthwhile to support these historical societies because they help us preserve history for future generations. So to begin, let's start with some stories of the early Potterville Depot. Now, this depot was built in the late 1800s. I don't have an exact date of when it was built, but I know it was built before the 1870s. And there's a interview that was recorded or written down from a man by the name of Edward J. Meter, and he lived from 1902 to 1988, and he was a resident of Potterville. And he said, on the north side of Main Street... Starting on the West End, the Grand Trunk Depot was a busy place in those days. If I remember correctly, there were two trains a day running east and two running west that stopped here to let off and take on passengers. This was at the Potterville Depot. There were also several so-called fast trains that stopped mail here and picked it up by the aid of a hook, which protruded from the mail car. This hook snatched the sacks of mail from a special built pole. We received a mail delivery about six times per day. Mr. Meter was the postmaster during those days in Potterville from 1963 to 1973. And he also taught at the Potterville Prey School. So we're going to go into some stories about Potterville, and I'm going to go into some of the events that happened around the depot and certain things that are quite interesting and unique. There were two different train derailments that happened in the Potterville area. The city experienced the first massive train derailment of 35 Canadian National Railroad cars over Memorial Day weekend in 2002. And due to leaking propane from the cars, the entire city was evacuated. The cause of that derailment was found to have been a faulty rail. And the second derailment that occurred was in May of 2006. And this was another Canadian national train derailment. And there was no evacuation necessary in this incident. And the cause of this derailment was found to be a failed wheel bearing on the 82nd car. But I'll go into more of the derailment history here in a minute. But I want to take you through a couple of other interesting stories that are included in this book about the Potterville Depot. There's an interesting article that they concluded in this book 
that was published in the Detroit Free Press in November of 1874. And it reads, The Potterville Depot was burglarized Monday night. A dollar or two in change was taken from the money drawer. Tickets were torn up. And an account book belonging to J. Higby, the agent, containing several hundred dollars worth of unsettled accounts, was cut to pieces. There is no clue to the perpetrators. That's the end of that article. So, a little insight there into a train depot burglary that happened in November of 1874. The next article that they have was published in the Eaton Rapids Journal on August 12th, 1932, and the headline of this article was Boy Robs Mail at Potterville. Victor Abatoy, 16, confessed mail robber, was picked up at the Charlotte Country Club Tuesday by Undersheriff M.J. Krieg and Deputy Casper Frace. A Grand Trunk section gang reported the matter to the Sheriff's Department after they found the mutilated mail sack at Potterville and later ran across the robber from whom they took a tablecloth and display card containing safety razors, after which they allowed the young man to go. When the officers found the culprit, he showed them where he hid the first-class mail behind the middle of three piles of stones in a field west of the railroad tracks, about two and a half miles southwest of Potterville. The youth, who sports quite a growth of whiskers, and is believed to be older than 16, which he says is his age given to him in a letter from his grandmother, is rather illiterate and very hazy about personal affairs. His father, Frank Abitoy, lives in Whitmore Lake, and his grandmother, Mrs. Margaret Brown, an aunt and a sister at St. Lyons. He could not give a resident address, but said he went from Coldwater to Detroit, worked on the highways three days, and then last Wednesday walked to Flint from where he was picked up. He usually slept in a boxcar, but was awakened Tuesday morning while thus asleep at Potterville when the fast eastbound passenger train went through. When ready to resume his journey, he noticed the mail pouch on the Potterville depot platform and not knowing what it was, picked it up. He opened the sack with a long iron railroad hook, removed the first-class mail and articles the section hands found on him. All of the letters were rifled, but the youth claims he found no money and did not take any of the checks. It is believed all the mail matter was recovered and it was returned to the Potterville Post Office. Postal Inspector Roy LaForge of Lansing interrogated the young man, and he reported that a warrant would be issued and a deputy U.S. Marshal soon sent for him. So that incident happened in August of 1932. And there's another story here about a mutilated body found on the tracks near Potterville. Victim not identified. And this was published in the Battle Creek Moon Journal on July 11th, 1921. Police believe woman might have been murdered and then body put on tracks. Late this afternoon, the woman who was found dead on the Grand Trunk Railroad tracks near Potterville was identified as Mrs. Stanley Belschwick, 38 years old, of Charlotte. Sheriff Glenn Dilly, later mayor of Charlotte, said this afternoon that he believed that she was struck by a train while walking on the railroad right-of-way Sunday morning. However, he is probing the murder theory and will submit all evidence to a coroner's jury Wednesday, the inquest having been postponed until that date. 
Mystery surrounds the finding of a horribly mutilated and dismembered body of a woman on the Grand Trunk tracks one mile east of Potterville Sunday morning. Section men on their way to work came across the body. Despite efforts of the Eaton County officials, identification is lacking. Whether the woman was killed by a train or whether she was murdered and the body then placed on the tracks are questions the authorities are trying to solve. The woman was apparently between 40 and 45 years old. The officers are of the opinion that she might have been a Belgian woman employed in Eaton County beet fields. All efforts to obtain information concerning a missing woman have proven futile. The woman evidently had worn but a house dress and a pair of shoes. No trace of underclothing could be found. When the body was found, the only article of apparel on it was a shoe on the severed foot. The left forearm, right leg, left foot, and other portions of the body were severed. The body was taken to the Charlotte Undertaking Parlor. Eaton County officials believe that the woman was killed outright by the train and are working to uncover any evidence that might lead to a murder. An inquest was to have been done this afternoon. Meanwhile, efforts to identify the victim are being made. Should it be found that the body was placed on the tracks after being murdered, it would make the third murder within a year. Beatrix Hickox met death near her home in Benton Township July 22, 1920, and Earl Carey, Lansing taxi driver, was murdered in that township a few months ago. The mysteries surrounding the Hickox and Carey murders have never been solved. The woman is declared to be the 13th person to have been struck down by trains on one of three dangerous crossings in the vicinity of Potterville. So that is the end of that story. Quite grisly and shocking, but it happened about 100 years ago in the Potterville area. Now let's return to those two train derailments that I mentioned earlier in this episode. The one that happened in 2002 and the other that happened in 2006. On Memorial Day 2002, people were gathered with family and friends in their homes in Potterville and in parks and outside lakes, enjoying the pleasant May day. Jeff and Judy Harnes, along with their toddler son James, had enjoyed a family gathering in Lansing, and when returning home in late afternoon, were stopped by a roadblock on Lansing Road. A Canadian National 58 car freight train traveling through Potterville derailed at 12.30 p.m. at the corner of Vermontville Highway and Cherry Street. Independence Village Mobile Home Park was just yards from the disaster, as well as the entire small town. This was no ordinary train derailment. Eleven cars held extremely hazardous material, the most dangerous of which were the cars containing 34,000 gallons of propane and one which carried sulfuric acid. Propane is highly explosive and the evacuation of 2,200 residents began immediately. A state of emergency was declared by then Mayor Brian Grossnickel. The Harns were told, along with many other residents, that they could not return to their home. When they explained that they needed their medications and that they had two dogs at home, they were told to hurry and retrieve their pets, meds, and not much else. They remember looking out in the backyard to see the overturned tanker car just yards from their fence. They managed to take some quick photos. The Harns, unlike many others, did not have local family and had to find a hotel 
to stay in, which proved to be rather difficult as motels and hotels were full all the way to Marshall. They managed to find one last room in a motel in Lansing and thought about those people who wouldn't have resources to get a motel room. Later, shelters were set up by the Red Cross and the Sheriff's Department. The electricity was turned off, schools were closed, and it was said that if even just one of the cars had ignited from electrical sparks or lightning, the entire town of Potterville, one square mile in area, would have been wiped out. Sheriff Rick Jones, Potterville Police Chief Dutch Bender, and Potterville Fire Chief Jack Fox all directed emergency crews around the clock in hazardous conditions. 300 emergency personnel worked tirelessly, and donations of food and water poured in from many businesses and organizations. 80% of the workers were volunteers. Some of the train cars were actually driven into the ground, and the tracks looked like spaghetti, according to Sheriff Jones. On May 31st, exactly one week from the disaster, residents were allowed to return to their homes. The Harns remembered the smell as they entered their home because everyone had to leave their refrigerators and freezers, which now needed to be cleaned out. They also remember hearing lawnmowers running all over town. When the employees of both Carl Market and Frank's Party Store returned, they had a massive cleanup of their freezers and outdated produce. Claims were estimated to run around $35,000 and even more for the stores. Delivery of mail was a challenge for the post office also. The schools were closed for four days and the principal petitioned for those days not to be required to be made up. CN Railroad set up an office at City Hall to start claims for reasonable expenses. These expenses could include motels, clothing, meals, and such things as personal items and loss of wages. Much spoiled food was also compensated for. It's believed that the average family received around $5,000. Those involved needed to keep receipts of all their costs. Many good things came from the incident, such as comments made often by the emergency agencies that there were no injuries, good teamwork, and a wonderful community. Yet people were displaced, some spending hours in motel rooms with bored children and worried about their homes and whether they would be compensated. And there were also friends and even strangers that stepped up with things to help, as simple as toothbrushes or food cards. It was hoped that the annual Gizzard Fest, sponsored by Potterville's previous claim to fame, Joe Gizzard City, would raise the morale of the town. It was held as usual, on June 14th. Now, the town's claim to fame is one of the worst train derailments in Michigan history, perhaps the entire country. However, a new claim to train derailment fame came in May of 2006, when another train derailed in the same spot. 150 cars jumped the track this time. There was smoke, but no fire, and only a suggestion was given that people should leave. It was reported that the derailment sounded and felt like an earthquake. People were very upset, but things were handled with humor as a headline in the local paper claimed that Potterville was racking up the wrecks. CN Railroad took full responsibility for both wrecks. The second incident was caused by the axle of one of the cars, which overheated. The railroad claimed it was a learning experience, and now trains travel through Potterville at a much slower speed. After the Harns returned to their home and were planning a trip to China to pick up their newly adopted daughter, Jasmine, they discovered two dead birds in their backyard. They felt that this was a sign that a place where a hazard material accident happened, although it was 
claimed that there were no spills, wasn't a place to bring up their children, and made the decision to move to Charlotte. Another development includes the 2002 derailment, and it may put Potterville on the map for a much happier reason. Cinematographer Sam Davis, who grew up in Potterville and Charlotte, is making a coming-of-age movie with elements included about the derailment. Sam says he has tentatively titled the film Sense, C-E-N-T-S, and that it is a small-town historical fiction. Sam won an Oscar in 2018 for his work in the documentary, period, end of sentence. He likes to make films that have social impact. Sam says the film Sense was born out of an itch to tell the story about my hometown, one of those middle-of-nowhere freeway exits most people pass by without ever batting an eye. It's the story of an oddball place that no one ever thought would wind up on a movie screen. Sam was 10 years old when the disaster happened. His family was building a house in Potterville, and after hearing about the derailment, he stood in his own backyard in Charlotte and stood looking toward his new hometown, picturing a large mushroom cloud in the sky. For this film, which has already held local tryouts February 2019 for actors, Sam has used news clippings, archival footage, and personal accounts from many people who have shared generously. He will be contacting CN to clear using their name and logo, but rather doubts that they want to be mentioned. Sam enjoys his inspiration of small towns, underdogs, and little-known people and places for his films. In the future, he thinks he may also do a football documentary inspired by his father, who was a high school coach. He will be looking forward to this unique and possibly Oscar-winning film of this local resident. Now, I looked to see if this film had ever been made, and I found a couple of articles on it. One indicated that the production for the film was going to start shooting in May or June of 2019. It appears that they had a casting call in February of that year, and they were supposed to start filming in May and June. I never was able to find out if the documentary was ever made. Um, I hope it was, and it probably is out there. I just didn't have time to locate it by the time I finished this podcast episode. But uh, hopefully it'll show up somewhere. It may have been delayed because of the 2020 year. We all know what happened after that. And it could be one of those many projects that went nowhere because of that year um, in this country. So it could very well be that's what happened to that project. And there's another interesting story about Potterville. In 1943, the Grand Trunk Western Railroad Station at Potterville started training men to be telegraphers, the only known class in on the job telegraphy in the world, and it was believed at the time. Other larger cities like Kansas City, Missouri, Atlanta, Georgia, Paducah, Kentucky had training classes as part of their high school curriculum, but none of them were in connection with an actual service on a railroad. What was offered in Eaton County was actual on-site training at a railroad depot, which was believed to be the best of its kind of training that one could receive in that profession. The classes were held in the Potterville Depot waiting room, where six sets of telegraph instruments were placed. The school provided two sets, and the other four were provided by the railroad company. Making this a joint investment, partitions separated each student and his telegraph set at the tables, and the telegraph sets were hooked together in a series. There were nine members of the telegraph class, 
all high school boys between age 15 to 20 years old. The students learned telegraphy, but also studied all the railroad rules, orders, and messages, and they kept a notebook where they wrote down those rules and where they could record the various forms used in the railroad work. Two students worked on railroad instruments, and some learned to send Western Union messages. Before the class ever ended, four of the students were hired part-time on the interlocking plant in the Grand Trunk Depot in Sherlock. And this story was published in the Battle Creek Inquirer on March 19, 1944. In 1948, this training opportunity was open to veterans also. It was still held at the Potterville Station of the Grand Trunk Railroad and would be conducted under the GI Bill of Rights School plan. It was open to discharged Army and Navy radio men. Railroad officials realized that the military radio men were well-suited for telegraphic work and were quick in learning the change from military to railroad codes. The classes were about six months long and at least 100 hours of training. Part-time jobs were made available to trainees while in school, and room and board was available to them in Potterville. To apply, veterans needed a copy of their discharge papers and a copy of their marriage license if married. The requirements stated that they must be physically fit and have the clearance papers from the last school they attended. And that article was also published in the Battle Creek Inquirer in January of 1948. The Potterville Depot was abandoned and demolished in 1961. That was essentially the end of a lot of the railroad activity in Potterville. Today there are railroad lines still going through Potterville, but there's no longer a depot or stopping place for them, which is the same with a lot of rural communities that had formed around a railroad depot in those years. But the size of Potterville is not very big. It is, of course, in Eaton County, and the population, according to the 2010 census, was 2,617 people. So it's a relatively small community. But there's a very big Arlo Steel plant out in Potterville and a lot of other companies, and it's a thriving community. A lot of people would probably consider it a drive-through community of being rural just outside of Charlotte, but it still has its charm. And that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you enjoyed this episode and found it at all interesting or entertaining, please take a minute to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. It always helps me to reach new listeners that way and if you'd like to come to the battle creek regional history museum this month on september 16th there is an incredible event happening there on saturday the 16th and it is from two to four and it's going to be put on by the steam railroading institute out of owasso on the subject of michigan train robberies so i will put the link to the description information about that event where you can buy tickets and you should certainly come down and join me i will be there if you guys want to come hang out with me after the event i'd love to meet you and it's really fun to uh, have some interesting and fascinating railroad history and if you'd like to reach out to me of course you can find me at michaeldelaware.com i'm always happy to hear from my listeners and until next time when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of southwest michigan's past thank you for listening <laughs>